everybody. How are y'all doing? I'm Michael. I'm with Alex as always. And we're here for a new episode of Falling Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And uh, today has been full of technical difficulties, accidentally displaying my full notes to Alex and kind of <laughs> revealing what we're going to be talking about today. But I'm going to pretend that I didn't do that. Me too. <laughs> and I'm just going to... I'm just going to, you know, just uh, kind of uh, start by asking Alex, uh, you know, what's your what's your favorite sci-fi video game series? <sighs> Ooh. Um, you know, ironically enough, I think Mass Effect still jumps into my head. Yeah. Yeah. You Mass know, Effect is really strong until it's not. It is. It really, really is. It's um, it's a really solid series just in general. And, you know. You know, I love what they, like, they do with all the, like, the future elements in it. I love, like, the race building that, that's in it and everything. And, mm-hmm. like, just the world building in it in general. Yep. You know what thing it missed? What's that? Not enough space fights. Not enough, like, dogfights yeah, in space. Yeah, that's true. It did, it did lack that. Yeah. And, you know, like, as far as I'm concerned, every good sci-fi series has to have a good dogfight or two. Yes. George like Lucas, Lucas knew this. He did. He 100% knew this. And it ended up being... It's the reason why Star Wars is as great as it is. You know, you might say it's like all the other stuff, like Jedi and whatnot. No, no. X-Wing battles. That's yes. what it is. Spaceship battles are number one in Star Wars. Everything else is number two. Exactly. Like, when people talk about their favorite Star Wars video games, yo, mm-hmm. sometimes they say Knights Roll in Public, but a lot of times they're like, no, nah, it's Rogue Squadron. Yep. Rogue or Squadron. X-Wing. Rogue Leader. Yeah. Kodor did have space battles. They were... I, I mean, yeah, turret sequences, yes. Yeah. It was good enough for Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, it was good enough for that. Oh, yeah. We had, there was actually plenty of space fights in Shadows of the Empire. Yep. Ah, man. Shadows of the Empire is so good. It's really not, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Shadows of the Empire is a bad game. It's absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> but it's really great. It's really great, though. <laughs> I played that game so, so much when it came out. 90, yeah. 96, I believe. Yeah, about there, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that game was so great. Well, we're not going to be talking about any of those games today, but we are going to be talking about a sci-fi series, one that I think has been kind of sneaky, influential throughout uh, video game history. And one of those series that I kind of honestly think there's only a couple of good games in it. <laughs> but I'm going to start this out by asking you another question, Alex. Okay. Are you, are you familiar with the... I mean, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation... The Fushimi Inari Tashia Shrine in Japan. I don't think so. So, it's a very prominent shrine in Kyoto, Japan. Uh, it's a shrine to the spirit Inari, a deity okay. in the Shinto religion that represents foxes, fertility, rice, tea, sake, as well as agriculture and industry, because Shintoism is kind of a weird religion. Like, yep, the, the major spirits just get a lot of domains. Yep, pretty much. Industry became very popular in the 19th century for Japan. As they tried to move uh, towards westernization, they went, ah, I don't know, Inari. Inari is already doing the agriculture, like industry's the new agriculture. Yeah, exactly. Let's give it to uh, her, I believe. Yeah, I, be- I believe uh, it's commonly a female deity, yes, or spirit. Um, although, now that I think about it, kind of weird that agriculture and industry are being lumped in together. So they tend to like fight against each other when you think about rules versus a little bit, yeah. But we're get, we're getting off track. We're getting off track with this. But uh this shrine located in Kyoto, once again, is one of the most famous in Japan. It's been visited by roughly about two million people per year for the celebration of the Japanese New Year. And one of its most notable aspects of this shrine are the long, dense row of Tori. Uh Tori being traditional Japanese gates that uh, you typically see like lining the path like of various shrines. The ones that line the um, the shrine in Kyoto though are very very tightly compact. And I'll I'll post a picture of it in the show notes and whatnot. But they they're literally like stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So this path, it turns out, is only a 15 minute walk away from Nintendo's headquarters in Japan. So many Nintendo employees would, and I imagine still do to, the, to this day, walk on their, this path during their breaks. And there's none more famous than Shigeru Miyamoto. Right. So in 1992, Miyamoto was in charge of a game that had a very eclectic team behind it. 
Uh, it consisted of a kind of an awkward marriage of two British developers who literally, when they showed up in Nintendo in Japan, they're like, you need to get in this office and never leave. <laughs> because they didn't want them, like, finding out other Nintendo secrets and sharing them. Right. And they were charging of the uh, technical design. Uh, they were teamed up with seasoned veterans of Nintendo Japan's EAD team. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the team behind more or less anything good Nintendo's ever done. EAD has been behind it. It's Miyamoto's main team. Right. Uh, and they were doing the character and level designs. This was a game that was meant to push the limits of the Super Nintendo. Now, Nintendo had suggested that this game should be like an arcade-style arcade shooter, which then the British teams suggested that it should involve spaceships because of that. Mm-hmm. So, with these elements decided on, the only thing left to decide was the world of this game and what it should be. So, the story goes that one day, Miyamoto went for a walk down this path to the shrine, and as he was walking through the Tori, he realized it would be pretty fun if you're traveling through these in like a vehicle, like dodging in between them and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, since this shrine is towards the uh, towards the deity Inari, once again, spirit represents foxes and whatnot. There's right. a lot of fox statues that line the path as well. So he observed these statues around there, and he decided, you know what, the main character should be a fox. So he brought this back to the team and suggested this, and... They filled out the rest of the roster with other Shinto-inspired animals, such as hares and birds and whatnot. And with this in place, the next year, Nintendo would release a game developed by Argonaut Software, and whose series is the subject of today's episode, Star Fox. Alex, what's your experience with Star Fox? The original Star Fox almost made me buy, and by buy, I mean ask my parents for, because I was like five. Yeah. Almost made me ask my parents for a Super Nintendo over a Genesis. Star Fox 64 was the first game that we owned on the N64, and it is one of my favorite N64 games to this day. Hell of a game. It's a hell of a game. Incredible game. Amazing. Nigh perfect for its time. <laughs> Star Fox Adventures really tried. <laughs> really tried. Star Fox Assault took you out of the plane for some unknown godforsaken reason. It was the style of the time, and it was terrible every time. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Star Fox Assault starts so strong, too. It really does. And then they're like... <sighs> Star Fox Zero, I haven't played because I couldn't take it. <laughs> I couldn't. I j- It's... Of what I would call the five mainline Star Fox entries, it's the only one I haven't played because I just couldn't bring myself to deal oh. with the disappointment again. You would have been disappointed. Yeah. That, Star Fox Zero is literally just a remake of Star Fox 64. But worse. Yeah. And more portals, oddly enough. Great. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, your opinion of Star Fox more or less lines up with mine. Uh, yeah. I absolutely absolutely love star fox star fox is one of my favorite series of all time straight up yeah i only think there's two gate good games in the star fox series once yep. again the first game and 64 <laughs> also that first game is a technical marvel yes it is runs like absolute garbage and there's no way to fix that <laughs> there is not if you increase the frame rate in the original star fox uh every, all the elements of the game are tied to it so everything yep. desyncs it's lovely yep. It's oof. Oh man. Yeah, I yeah, like you, like Star Fox sixty four was so damn cool. Oh yep. my god, that game oh, is so, so good. awesome. It's so good. And then yeah, if you play adventures and you're like, oh yeah, I can tell this wasn't supposed to be a Star Fox game. Yeah, no, this is clearly like a an Ocarina of Time inspired action adventure that <sighs> someone was like, Hey, what if we made it Star Fox instead? Yeah, what if we what if we did that? And it's what like, what if we uh, did that? Yeah, did, so. did we have to? Yes, yeah. says someone very important who usually has good ideas. <laughs> you know, good proof that Miyamoto is not infallible. He is not. He is not. He's yes. rarely fallible, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Yeah. So Star Fox is man. If they, I, I. We were talking about this last night, and I, I think I mentioned that like mm-hmm. if Star Fo- if like a new Star Fox game was announced, I would probably buy that day and date. Yeah, because I 
everything about the universe in it, everything that's around it is just so darn cool. And I, I, mm-hmm. that's an opinion that's pretty widely shared. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's like the, it's like one of the most popular series out there. But right. It's definitely one of the most beloved. And you can tell that from like fan works such as A Fox in the Space. Mm-hmm. Um, an incredibly weird rotoscope <laughs> drawn cartoon that's that he's working on that second episode. One day he's going to release it. And it's gonna, yeah, yeah, one day. Rotoscoping takes a long time. Turns out that man taught himself Blender. That's mm-hmm. that's just amazing. But um, but yeah, like you like look at all of that, and you can see that like even though a lot of those games are kind of just terrible, or at least at best mediocre. Right. Like it's just such a beloved series, and I think a lot of it does come back to that first couple of games just being such marvels. Yeah. It, it's a bit of a tangent to talk about, but uh. You talked about Star Fox almost convincing you to, you know, basically needle your parents into getting you a Super Nintendo. Right. So my earliest games, my earliest games consist of playing on my dad's NES Mm -hmm. and playing on our, um, I think it was an Apple II system. That makes sense. Which the games consisted almost entirely of flight simulators. So flight simulators are sort of the one of the most fundamental roots of my video gaming experience. Mm. Um, I, I love flight simulators. I love jet fighters. You know, just planes and flying machines in general yeah. are fascinating and a lot of fun and really cool. And so I'm I'm always about good flight sim and dogfighting games and yeah just Star Fox being what it was which was like a dogfight flying shooty game of flying through hoops and between archways and shooting other spaceships with these like revolutionary 3D graphics it was just like this is the coolest this is the coolest yeah yeah totally it's it's just absolutely absolutely cool also, so, I think the R-Wing might still be my favorite Starfighter of all time. It's really good. Like, it's really good. And so it's an incredibly angular-looking ship, silver and silver and blue, because you know they had they only had like a couple hundred polygons to work right. with, right? Uh, for and, everything, not just the ship, and like and so, twenty colors. Yep. And so they're like, we gotta just we're gonna make everything a triangle, and it looks so cool. It's so cool. So. My experience with Star Fox uh, is that I did eventually, like, play, like, the original Star Fox, but, like, the first time I ever did play it was at a kiosk at a Sears, and mm-hmm. my dad was like, I'm going to buy you one Super Nintendo game. Right. And so I played that, and my sister was like, oh, man, you should get this game. It's so great. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. I see this other game. It's called Mystical Ninja as oh, a ninja. No. Oh, and no. I was like, I, I want that game. My my sister was so upset. She was so angry at me. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, she she was right to be. Now, to be fair, The Legend of the Mystical Ninja is a classic Konami game, but it is not Star Fox. It's, it's not, not Star Fox. No. <laughs> uh, I did not make that same mistake with Star Fox 64. Fair. So Star Fox was a revolutionary game when it came out. I, I won't get too much into the weeds of Star Fox's development beyond what we've already talked about, because... For the most part, what we've already talked about describes like the main influence of the development on the plot of the series. But I do want to touch on the 3D aspect of the game. So when Star Fox was released, it was one of the first fully 3D games on a console, like any consoles. Right. Now, it wasn't the first, even Mm -hmm. on the Super Nintendo. Alex, have you ever heard of a game called Race Driving? Nope. Oh, this is going to be a tangent, but trust me, I'm, it's, it's going somewhere. <laughs> All right. So, Race Driving was a fully 3D racing game released in arcades in 1990 by Atari. It's a sequel to a game called Hard Driving, which is basically the same game, just Race Driving if you had one more track and it ran a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a relatively successful game for them. And since this was 1990 and Atari was kind of desperate for money at the time, right? it was ported to everything that could theoretically handle it, and some that could not, such as the Super Nintendo in 1992. <laughs> right. So, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something good here. All right. So, I'll, I'll, I'll post this in the show notes, but this is a comparison video between the Genesis and the Super Nintendo versions of this game. Okay. 
So yeah, this is race driving. Oh. Okay, the Genesis is definitely doing better. Yeah. Um the the Super Nintendo runs at um on occasion 4 frames per second. On occasion, yep. Um that's that's not hyperbole by the way. No, Somebody actually no, did once that's... measure that out and it's like yeah, occasionally the frame rate does dip down to 4. Yeah, that that's uh and that's after like I can see that they reduced the field of view by adding this race driver yeah on top of it yeah it's literally like there's only like actually a play screen is only about like maybe a fourth of the size yeah so if if you're seeing less of the game than on the genesis and it's still running worse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh man the difference between the genesis and the super nintendo from a technical standpoint is so fascinating it really is because yeah like while the super nintendo had a lot of like cool bells and whistles Right. Uh, can't get past the fact that the CPU in that was about a third of the, as powerful as the Genesis. Yeah. And it shows. Yeah, it sure does. But also, like, there's also weird stuff about the Genesis that shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Oh, so weird. So weird. But yeah, so that got ported there. So that's, like, one of, if not the first, like, 3D game that was on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh... Would you believe that race driving all Scott Porter to the Game Boy? Oof. You know what? I can kind of picture it in my head. Yeah. Let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at that. Yeah. Let's let's do that. So yeah, look yep. at this. Yeah. This is. Oh. 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 That that refresh. Oh no. On one hand, yes, but look also how smooth this runs in comparison. Yeah. Somehow smoother. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is running at roughly, I think, about 10 frames per second. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that Super Nintendo version looked real rough, right? Yeah, pretty rough. The Game Boy version ran shockingly well. You know who developed the Game Boy version? Is it EAD? No, Argonaut Software did. Okay, Argonaut, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's why Nintendo was like, hey, you guys. Oh, yes, ba- basically, yeah. So Argonaut, just a little background on them. They're a British company based in London, and yeah, between games like that and other improbable 3D games, such as X, which is a mm. another strangely smooth 3D game on the Game Boy. Right. They developed a reputation for being absolute wizards. And because of this, they had a very close relationship with Nintendo. Like, Nintendo bought the rights to X to release in Japan. Mm-hmm. And never came over here, unfortunately. Right. And it was through this relationship that Argonaut managed to convince Nintendo to let them develop a co-processing chip called the Super FX. Mm-hmm. So this is a chip that was very powerful for at the time. Right. Uh, it had a clock speed of about 10.7 megahertz, which for reference was more than three times as fast as the Super Nintendo's CPU. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually could be unlocked to run at 21.4 megahertz, which later editions would. Yeah, the thing was quick. It was really, really advanced for the time. Yeah. So this allowed the Super Nintendo to render hundreds of polygons at once at a steady frame rate, uh, usually about 20 frames per second, which, while this doesn't seem like much nowadays, back then it felt like a game changer. Yeah. So how does the 3D nature play into what types of game it became? Uh, So it's very easy to tank the frame rate with these early 3D games. Uh, And with frame rate a lot of times being tied to gameplay, you had to make sure it stayed consistent. Right. So one way you can control this, though, is by making the game on rails. If you continuously focus the player action in a way that you can reliably predict what will be on screen at any given time, yet don't got to worry about unintended elements dropping that frame rate. Mm-hmm. So this seems to be a reason, or at least I suspect this is a reason why this is primarily a rail shooter. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And I also suspect, uh, since it was a rail shooter, that's why Argonaut suggested it should be a space flight should be involved. Mm-hmm. So through these limitations, we get our basic concept. Now, for the plot of Star Fox, uh, besides what we already talked about with the Shrine, how exactly they got to uh, the main two factions fighting is that Nintendo decided to use an old Japanese expression about fighting like dogs and monkeys, Mm. which is a hell of an expression. I love it. (laughs) Having watched anime, I've heard this expression so many times in my life, or, or just seen manifestations of dog versus monkey. Yeah, right? It's it's a very, very common thing. And and yeah, it's it's repeated here in Star Fox as well. So for this case, the good guys, the Coronarian army, are dogs, and the armies that 
from are from Venom, our bad guys, are monkeys. And of course, for our protagonist, the Star Fox team, they once again they pulled from Japanese folklore and had the team consist of a fox, a falcon, and a hare. A toad was also added as a homage to like a homage to another staff member at Nintendo EAD who apparently uh, had a frog as his mascot. <laughs> so they went, eh, sure. Yeah, all right. Finally, and this is maybe my favorite little tidbit, is that the basic look of the team came from Miyamoto himself. So you've seen the box art for Star Fox, right? Right. And how they're kind of like strange puppets? Yes. So it turns out Miyamoto was a big fan of the British TV show Thunderbirds. Ah, uh, there it is. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, the Thunderbirds were like this really weird puppet sci-fi show mm-hmm. um, that got parodied in a Team Team America World Police. And uh, Miyamoto apparently is a really big fan of that show, so he actually made a bunch of puppets of the main cast, and that's what <laughs> appears on the box art. I, I don't know if he made them himself. I would 100% believe that he did. Yeah, that seems plausible. <laughs> yeah, and so you end up with a bunch of uh, puppets as uh, kind of your inspiration for these characters. And uh, even better, once they did, like, announce Star Fox Zero later, when they did announce it, mm-hmm. they were puppets, and it was yep. great. Yep. Ah, uh, best use of the children's workshop in a commercial series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, before we dive into the story of Star Fox, I uh, kind of got to go over a few things. Uh, the Star Fox series consists of quite a few games, but we're only going to cover about four of them. Okay. Now, the reason being is because some of these games, first off, are unreleased. Star Fox 2 never really got an official release until right. very, very recently. And it's really more of like a bonus Easter egg out of canon sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And Star Fox itself has been reimagined or retconned a couple of times. Uh, first, is Star Fox 64 is just like a fleshed out version of Star Fox. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Star Fox Zero might as well be a one-to-one remake of Star Fox 64, except now <laughs> portals are involved. Mm. Uh, to the point that when I watched uh, way too way too many uh, hours of worth of cutscenes, I was like, <laughs> ah, this is literally just Star Fox 64. To the point you literally recreate some scenes one to one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm. we're not going to be covering it. Fair enough. What we will be covering today is going to be Star Fox 64, and then Adventures, Assault, and then finally Command. But with that, let's talk about the plot to the Star Fox series, starting with Star Fox 64. Once again, a hell of a game. Yes. So to begin, we might as well start by talking a little bit about the setting of Star Fox, uh, because it turns out there's a lot to it. Star Fox takes place in the Lilat system, a planetary system that doesn't make any sort of sense at all, <laughs> given it consists of, and I am serious, 12 habitable planets, multiple nebulae, and other cosmic phenomena. In it, multiple animal species with humanoid characteristics exist. Uh, these range from humanoid dogs, uh, cats, apes, birds, reptiles, uh, and even more than that. And they're all sentient and of roughly the same intelligence. They, they're they essentially just like humans and more or less would have the same right. characteristics. It, it, it's an anthro system. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they are all under the control of one primarily dog-run government, <laughs> on the planet of Corneria, the fourth planet in the Lilat system, which is a lush garden world and is a center of power. So, now, go ahead. I can't remember. Have we ever seen any political figures of the Cornarian government, or have we mainly interacted with the military? Because the military is absolutely dog run. Oh, yes. And it's funny that you mention that because the next line I wrote. Now, not as much is known about how the Cornarian government works. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> because, yeah, they they really don't talk. This is a real common thing in Nintendo games. Mm-hmm. In that they seem to actually kind of hate their own world building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Like, if it isn't in immediate service to the plot, they're not really big about having fluff around there. And that, that's sometimes good, that's sometimes bad. Right. But it does mean that a lot of elements that, like, if you have individual characters, they're going to be fleshed out. Uh, anything else around it, you might as well not know anything about it. So, yeah, we don't. We know that there is some sort of civ- civilian government, some sort of council, and that's about as far as that goes. Right. It's, it's sort of outside of Star Fox's purview. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They don't deal with the civilian sector. Not at all. They don't sign their checks, so they don't have to deal with them. So we do know quite a bit about the Cornarian army, though. 
the Cornarian Army is a spacefaring fighting force that seems to be similar to a, like a lot of Western NATO-like militaries. So you know you can think like how the American military is like structured. It. The Cornarian Army would be a pretty close one-to-one to that. Right. Uh, it's run by General Pepper, a hard-nosed dog general. And by the way, get used to like really good like dog and cat names, <laughs> and also very on-the-nose dog and cat names. Also, yes. Which is maybe one of my favorite things about Star Fox. Yeah. So General Pepper appears to have a lot of political power because uh, he has the authority to punish civilians, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me wonder if this society is kind of a benevolent military dictatorship. It could be. Yeah, it, it could be. I don't know. Maybe maybe martial law is instituted during the duration of the games. Maybe that, that would make sense because they are under constant crisis. Yeah. So, yeah. While Star Fox, once again, it has a lot of detail to its world, it's weirdly sparse as far as how all this works beyond the individual characters. So, unfortunately, we're not going to really comment much past that, but I can tell you that Cornarian society is very advanced. Space travel is an everyday occurrence. Like, pretty much every planet that's habitable in that system, and even some places that aren't, have creatures on them. Mm -hmm. And with all this advancement, uh, the citizens are encouraged to explore the arts and sciences and try to put them towards a good use, bettering everybody's lives. Now, one such scientist who shone above the rest was a one Dr. Andros, an ape scientist who, from a young age, showed an extreme talent in various biosciences. Uh, I'm unsure if Andros is his first or last name. They never specified. (laughs) (laughs) His inventions and technological breakthroughs transformed Cornarian life for the better, in ways so wonderful that it's completely unexplainable, so they don't even try. <laughs> it was because of this, he became Cornarius' chief science officer and only reported to one person, General Pepper. So, also the science department reports to the military. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Okay, this, this might be a military dictatorship. I think it's 100% a military dictatorship. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> It's okay. General Pepper, he's, he's a good yeah. dog. He's a good yeah. dog. Good dog. Yeah. Uh, so things began to reach your... So now things should be all well and good, but in order to help be, bring some of the, his crazier experiments to life, he had a tendency to test them on himself. <laughs> as such, he started to become a little bit more deranged as time goes on and eventually just goes full on mad scientist and starts creating like bioweapons and giant creatures and like weird machine hybrids and all this other strange stuff. And the coordinary government's like, what do you, whoa, hold on. <laughs> we didn't ask for any of this. <laughs> like, General Pepper is, like, consistently confused by his insane experiments. And he's like, he's like, starts to wonder, like, is this dude even, like, worth having around now? Like, what, what is his deal? <laughs> I mean, so, I feel like the first time he animates a dragon skeleton or something, you should be like, okay, you know what? Hmm. Maybe sabbatical for you. Yeah, I think, first off, you don't gotta test these on yourself, you know. You don't yeah. gotta. It's also, yeah. Why don't you go take a vacation? <laughs> you know, go to Titania. It's very nice. It's very nice. Yeah. So things begin to reach a breaking point when it's discovered that Andros is doing all these experiments within the various cities of Cornaria, causing like various accidents and like dangerous bioweapon outbreaks and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, depending on the source that you read, uh, it could either be just like, oh, sometimes an explosion happens or most of Corneria gets poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the latter one I was not able to verify, but multiple wikis I read referenced this. So I guess it's from some sub side comic or something like that. But regardless, right. Andros does the bad. Yeah. And so General Pepper has no choice but to banish him from Corneria. Now, from what I understand, the Cornerian government doesn't have the death penalty. But they right. have. They have the next best thing. They send you to Venom, a planet that is near inhospitable, and the with like no supplies or anything like that. And so, eh, you probably will just die. <laughs> the hope is that you'll know, you'll go there, you'll succumb to the conditions present on the planet, and we don't have to worry about this problem ever. And they have surveillance on the people they send there, right? No. <laughs> hmm. Because it's the farthest planet away. <laughs> and I get, feel like jail cells might be more effective. You would think so. You would think so. Uh, but what, hey, what is the what is the greatest jail if not a planet you can't leave? Are we not prisoners of the planet Earth? Yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Also, I guess we've technically proven we can actually leave Earth, but... Also, yes. <laughs> but still, still. Also, if this guy's been doing bioweapon experiments on himself, why would you not assume he can survive anywhere? Yeah, yeah, you know, you th- you figured that somebody would just been like, listen, <laughs> Pepper. <laughs> just, just put him in a box. Yeah, put him in a box, we'll put him at the bottom of the ocean, it'll be fine. But no, they decide to put him on Venom. And... Uh. For years, it seems like he's he's dead and gone. But rumors began to swirl of the survival, and throughout the layout system, dangerous criminals go to the planet's surface in search for the lost doctor. On top of that, it turns as out as well as the Cornarian army, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> the Cornarian army goes. There's a bunch of criminals going to this one planet. Well, not our problem. <laughs> God. We'll let the non-existent space police deal with this. So, years later, a strange energy source was detected on Venom. Now, wanting to find out what was going on without creating a huge scene, you know, don't want to get the military involved, mm-hmm. uh, General Pepper dispatches the greatest mercenaries in the known galaxy, the Star Fox team. Now, this consists of, at the moment anyways, the only person who has a human name, James McCloud, mm-hmm. who's a fox, Yep. Uh, Peppy Hare, and an incredibly shifty pig by the name of Pigma Dengar. Now, I say incredibly shifty because when he is, like, first shown in his Star Fox gear and whatnot, mm-hmm. that man, you look at that man, you go, that man is a traitor. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, they aren't going to try to hide this, but still. Right. So they all travel to Venom to see what's going on. And upon their arrival, what they discover is absolutely shocking to them. It turns out not only is Andros alive, but he's managed to build an impressive army, one that appears capable of going toe-to-toe of Cornarius. So they see all this and they're like, okay, we need to warn Pepper now. But before they can do that, said incredibly shifty looking pig is a traitor. And he right. immediately attacks. Because they're just flying around in their R-wings uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and whatnot. And like, Pigma, by the way, is supposed to be like a close friend of both James and Peppy. So they're both completely caught off guard by this. But right. apparently Andros had gotten in contact with them and paid him off. So once uh, they made the discovery of, well, Andros being alive with the giant army... Pickham immediately attacks the rest of the team alongside a bunch of, uh, I guess it would be Venomese, Venom fighters. Mm-hmm. So James stays behind to fend him off, letting Peppy get away. But unfortunately, because of that, James is missing in action and presumed dead. Right. So upon Peppy's arrival home, he tells first off the Cornary Army what's going on, uh, who proceeds to not really do a whole lot about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he tells... Yeah, yeah right? Because... <laughs> As we're going to see, there's going to be a five-year period here with it. Nothing is done. (laughs) Also, did they not, were they, did they not drop anyone else off on Venom and while they were there go, hey, what's this army? (laughs) I guess nobody else raided. Everyone's like, well, you're not completely a mass murderer. I guess you get to go to jail. Right. You get to go to Cornarian jail. Yeah, you figure somebody... Once again, you figure somebody would notice the giant armada that's being built. You would think. But no. No. Isn't there specifically like a surveillance satellite in orbit around Venom that is a stage in Star Fox 64? There is. I think that's Bulls. And I'm not sure if, and I I think it might be a Cornarian one. I think you might be correct about that. And I think that's what detects the energy signal that's down on the planet. Right, okay. Yeah, one thing I do have to point out is that a lot of, um, there's not a whole lot of surface structures on Venom. A lot of uh, things that are being built are underground, because literally the surface of Venom is toxic. Right. So, so could be that, could be that. But, yeah, a lot of the comics do kind of go in and try to, like, explain this a little bit better as well. Be like, well, you know, people did discover that Andros was alive, but they're like, well, whatever, he's over there on another planet, and, like, there's literally people living there, so, like, well... We don't want to go bug the lizard people and get into a war with them. <laughs> Which fair. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to bug Yeah, I don't want to bug the lizard people either. Yeah, no, that that You you don't want to bring lizard people into your Star Fox game. It's a bad time. It's a bad time. So yeah. But yeah, so Peppy gets home and he tells Fox, who's James's son, and is currently in Cornarian Flight Academy right now, that his father is dead. And with that, Team Star Fox is no more. They, given that it's now a team of one, they disband. So five years later, the Cornarian government one day wakes up to a terrible surprise. Andros has declared war. 
He attempts to take over the entirety of the Lilat system and establishes himself as a dictator. You know, as opposed to the otherwise already established military dictatorship. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> he's going to be a, a he's going to be a bad dictator. Di- yeah, science dictatorship. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be all bioweapons all the time. Yep. Every planet will be poisoned. So, at first it doesn't seem like Andros can possibly win, but he's kind of a genius and has been playing the long game. Because mm. all of a sudden, terrible bioweapons and like surprise attacks occur all over the system. Because it turns out he like planted like double agents in the Cornarian army. He planted like bioweapons all on the different planets that all just rose up at once. And so like overnight, basically every planet except Cornaria is taken over. Right. How did he pay all these people? With science. Ah. And the need for revenge, I guess. That's uh, yeah. That's a good question, actually. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's some sort of, like, rare mineral on Venom. He's just been selling a lot. Maybe Venom is just, like, all gold. Maybe. So, yeah. With that, General Pepper is now facing an army that's in control of most of the system. And because of that, he needs as much help as he can possibly get. So he decides to contact as many mercenary groups as possible. One of the most famous ones is a now-reborn Star Fox, this time led by James's son, the much more on-the-nose name Fox McCloud. (laughs) So... This Star Fox is a bit different from its previous iteration, uh, consisting of four pilots. Its members include Falco Lombardi, a hotshot former member of a space gang known as the Space Hot Rodders, <laughs> and an ace pilot. <laughs> One day he left the space his space gang because he was just like, eh, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> <laughs> like, he literally just, like, told his second in command, like, you're, you're an adult now, you're in charge. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. The other person is, another member is Slippy Toad, the mechanical genius of the team, who's responsible for many of their vehicles and their maintenance, and is also a friend of Fox's from Flight Academy. Uh, Fun fact, according to Star Fox Assault, uh, he's the mascot of Team Star Fox? (laughs) Mm. Hmm. You mean the outfit called Star Fox, who flies around on the flagship the Great Fox and has a fox emblazoned as their emblem? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if that's just like a really weird mistranslation in the U.S. manual, but yeah. Right. I I saw that tidbit and went, yeah, that's dumb. I need to include that. That, yeah, yeah. I he's wonder a- if they meant he's like the PR? Maybe. In which case, also, oof. <laughs> yeah, because he's kind of a flighty sort of guy, kind of gets scared really easily in the middle of yeah. the fight. Although... As a Star Fox assault, he's actually established as being a really good ground soldier. Yeah. Like, he literally holds down, like, an entire docking bay by himself. <laughs> so, you know, he's good, he's, he's good in, his own, in his own niches. Yeah, I feel like he should be doing anything other than the thing that he gets told to do. Yeah, every time he flies, it just doesn't go well. It doesn't. And of course, the leader of the team is Fox McCloud, the straight-laced ace pilot of the team, who's just all about doing the right thing and sort of wants to get his revenge on Andros, but not really. <laughs> never really never really states any sort of hatred for Andros other than just a want to stop him from doing evil things. Right. Rounding out the cast, of course, is Peppy Hare, the one member of the original Star Fox team and the sort of dad of the group. So, using the giant battleship the Great Fox as their flagship, and held by a robot called Rob64, they quickly gain a reputation before the war as one of the best mercenary teams out there, and are quickly hired by the Cornary Army in their war against Andros. Now, this comes just in time as Andros forces make their final push against Cornaria. And what serves as the beginning of Star Fox 64, the team flies down to the now under siege capital of Cornaria fight their way through waves of waves of Andros fighters, and manage to single-handedly repel the Venom invasion force. After that, they lead the Spearhead to counterattack Venom's forces. So, now, given there are multiple paths through the game, it doesn't really make sense to go through each planet or path. Mm-hmm. So instead, what I'll do, I'm just going to hit some like highlights here and there. Okay. So, some of these highlights, and some of the battles they fight, include taking on an entire invasion fleet, and an ape version of Char Asnabal. <laughs> Fighting, de- fighting deep-sea bioweapons. Rescuing Slippy from a desert planet after getting <laughs> shot down. <laughs> uh, getting smacked down, technically. Oh, yes. Fair- that's true. That's true. They-, they fight a giant robot that has detached hands. He literally just backhands Slippy <laughs> yep, down to a planet. Slaps him up. 
out of orbit. It's pretty great. Literally redoing the big air battle at the end of Independence Day. Yep. Yep. One of the best stages in the game. Hell of a stage. Fighting a war train, which... Did you know war trains are a real thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, during uh, the warlord period in China, they were used very often. <laughs> huh. Yeah, until people realized you could just take away the rails and I'll derail yeah. the train. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of pirates, fighting sea pirates on a trash planet. Right. That happened for reasons. Mm-hmm. And finally, also fighting a bioweapon that somehow lives on a star. Yeah. Uh, that one is pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty good. So also, there... dragons live on that star. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the main sun of the Lilas system, not only can you literally fly right next to the surface, but dragons live there. So, during their travel, they run into some old friends. These include Bill Gray, who's a classmate of Fox's and Slippy's at Flight Academy. Uh, Bill being an ace pilot who's in charge of two separate fighter squadrons at Katina Base which is a desert planet where uh, the big fake Independence Day fight happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the hammer of the point home that this is just one big Independence Day-like send-up, his name is literally the same name as the fighter pilot president for that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. I never actually noticed that. I didn't either until I read about it, and I went, wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. You know what? I really admire that audacity of someone just being like, we're making a dogfighting game, and I like Independence Day, so I'm going to put Independence Day in this dogfighting game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, oh, it's so good. Oh, that mission's so good. That mission's so good. Yeah, Bill's going to show up multiple times uh, throughout the series, and, like, he uh, he basically will constantly team up with Fox and, and Squad, mm-hmm. like, temporarily join up with Star Fox, and... Apparently in one of the side comics, it's uh, it's mentioned that Bill almost ended up joining Star Fox, but like Fox decided not to ask him because he knew he, right. he would. So he's like, right. ah, I'm not going to ask you. Sit, I'll ask Slippy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So they also run into another person by the name of Cat Monroe, an old flame from Falco's days as a space gang member. <laughs> that name is so good. Cat Monroe. The thing Cat about. Monroe is so good. <laughs> The thing about the names in Star Fox 64 is that the name, like, they're all, like, on the nose, but they're all mm-hmm. so good. They are. Oh, oh, it's so great. It's gonna get so disappointing when we get to Star Fox Command and they're <sighs> like, meet my daughter, Roxanne, human name. It's like, no! <laughs> she has to be some sort of weird rabbit pun. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> uh, so there's a little less detail to Cat compared to Bill. Um, a lot of it's, like, set aside in, like, side comics. And a lot of it was, like, stuff that I just couldn't verify. Right. Um, but she helps the team blow up the security system on Zonus, which is the aforementioned trash planet with the pirates. And, like, kind of, like, happens to, like, tease Falco and kind of flirt Fox here and there. Uh, so, finally, they encounter a fearsome enemy, though. A rival mercenary group that goes by the name of Star Wolf. Yeah. Star Wolf is so cool. Star Wolf so cool. Man, of all the additions from Star Fox to Star Fox 64, that's probably the strongest. Mm-hmm. It's like, what if there was an evil Star Fox? Right? Oh, it's so good. They're so good. And the team members, like, all the team members in it are all various, like, shades of bad, but, like, bad in a good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Star Wolf is a rival mercenary team put together by Andros himself as a counter to Star Fox. Which makes you wonder how they are a mercenary team, but... Eh. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, as such, it's kind of thro- a team thrown together out of convenience. Uh, it consists of four members, uh, including a one Leon Pulaski, a sadistic chameleon and rival of Falco, Andrew Oikini, the fail nephew of Andros, and rival of Slippy for some reason. <laughs> Pigma Dengar's back, and he's now keen on murdering the hell out of Peppy. And, oh man, <laughs> Pigma has such good lines in this game. Yeah. He he has the right amount of menace in his. Yes. Like, you know, it's, say, it's that kind of like dangerous villainy that turns pathetic at the drop of a hat. Right? Oh. Yeah, like some of the lines he has, like like speaking like directly towards Fox, like telling him that his dad screamed really good while he died. Mm-hmm. Or like telling Peppy's like, I'm gonna just, I'll shoot you down fast, Peppy old pal. <laughs> like just mm, so mm. good. And of course they are led by Wolf O'Donnell. 
an eyepatch-wearing older pilot who seems to have some sort of history of James McCloud back in the day. Right. But nowadays just wants to prove he's a better pilot than Fox. This team of criminals, traitors, and glory seekers will constantly battle Star Fox throughout the game. And despite constantly being shot down and being retrofitted with, like, (laughs) android parts, (laughs) will always find a way to claw their way back into the fight. So, eventually, Star Fox leads a direct assault on Venom itself fighting their way past its planetary defenses at Area 6, and dropping down to the surface alone. After another tough fight where Star Fox is shot down once again, Fox decides he's going to fly his entire ship into Andross's <laughs> underground labs all alone. All alone, because reasons. Because reasons. Now, this somehow works out okay, and as Fox is flying towards the center of the lab, he's contacted directly by Andros. He tells him he's been waiting for him this whole time. He's a fool for coming this far, and soon he'll feel true pain. And as Fox, why does Andros have a personal grudge against Star Fox again? I think he's just upset that like James McCloud showed up and kind of like basically revealed to the entire world he'll still or system that he's still alive and has a giant military now. That didn't hamper and... his plans in any way, though. It didn't, but Fox definitely hampered him. True. So I think by that point, it's just like, I'm just kind of done with the, these yeah, Star Fox characters. Fair. Like, all right. <laughs> so Fox reaches the center of the base, which is like this weird, strange, like, dimension, kaleidoscope of colors and whatnot. Right. And Andros reveals himself as a floating head with a, a pair of hands that are detached from him, Rayman style. As was the style at the time. As was the style at the time. So at first... This appears to be like nothing more than a strange illusion, but as Fox destroys his head, it falls apart to reveal that, no, actually, that was Andross's head. And mm-hmm. it reveals a giant brain. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, Andross has turned himself into a bioweapon, and <laughs> in maybe the best line in Star Fox, mm-hmm. yep. he, he tells Fox that only he has the brains to rule Lilat. oh it's so good fox disagrees and in a fight where he like literally fights andros's detached eyeballs that are like (laughs) connected via electricity to his brain yeah and yeah like shooting at the pond like the pond's region of the brain like he eventually like blows him up and as he begins to die he says if i'm going down i'm taking it with me and he sets his base to self-destruct and immediately explode yep so it seems like fox is about to be lost in the wreckage However, he gets a transmission from an unknown source, his father, James, who tells him to never give up. (laughs) He then shows up in an (laughs) R-wing and proceeds to lead him out of the base just as it explodes. Oh, it's so good. And, like, giving him, like, inspirational quotes and whatnot that Peppy, like, would give you, like, during the game. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, never give up, trust your instincts. (laughs) And, like, as they escape the underground base, just as it explodes, the ghost of his R-wing disappears because I guess he's dead. Yeah guess so yeah it's actually really unclear what happened to james (laughs) Mm, yeah there's actually enough circumstantial evidence to suggest he's alive just in another dimension (laughs) yeah that could be too yeah it's i guess star fox command is gonna make this very confusing is what i'm gonna say Mm, unfortunate unfortunate so obviously fox is very confused this drop by this like he gets back up to the um atmosphere just above venom like meets up with the rest of the team and he's like looking around mm-hmm. and like peppy asks him it's like he's doing okay and like fox tells him like nah nah i'm fine let's go home <laughs> and so they fly back they get a full military like welcome uh, when they arrive in corneria city general pepper like parades him in front and he thanks star fox for the service he offers him a full commission in the cornerian army but fox begs him off telling him that they like doing things their own way Rob 64 tells him that the Grey Fox is ready to go. And with that, Fox and team literally run into the sunset. <laughs> and in, in, a, in a credit scene, that's really good. And they fly on off. Yeah. And then the game finally ends with the Cornarian army getting the invoice. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, because depending on how many fighters you shot down, General Pepper will be like, man, this ain't cheap, but it's worth it. Yep. Or if he gets a particularly large amount, she just goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and with that, that's the end of Star Fox 64. Oh, man. God, I love that game. Oh. And I love that game's story and world building. And it's such an incredible foundation 
for that series. It really is. And it was amazing going back and like going over the story of Star Fox 64 and whatnot and realizing that, wait, for a game that literally takes maybe about 30 to 45 minutes to beat, mm-hmm. yep. there is so much detail that's packed into it. There really is. Like they went for it in a way that you wouldn't expect. And like other things that I like, mentioned about this, this was like one of the first games on the N64 and one of the only games that was fully voice acted. Mm-hmm. True. Like, I don't think there's any dialogue in there that isn't just, like, tutorial boxes that isn't voiced. Yeah, no, I don't think, which is, like, the great thing about that is it's a, a basically a remake of the original Star Fox, which has gibberish voice acting mm-hmm. through and through. Yep. Um. So that's kind of fun, because it, it at least gives every character, like, a tone of voice. Mm-hmm. But then it's complete nonsense language. So then it goes all the way to, like you said, yeah, everything is fully voice acted. Yeah. And like the voice acting, I'm not going to sit here and say it's like the world's best, but it no. is kind of iconic in a way. Yeah, it and, it is shockingly competent. Yeah. And it's incredibly beloved to the point that when Star Fox Zero came out, they made a big point of being like, we brought back the original voice actors, mm-hmm. which is like, you didn't have to do that, but that's cool. You really? Yeah, you didn't, but. Yeah, and they actually do a decent job, I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, like, yeah, between that and, like, just all the presentation of the different missions and, like, all the banter between your pilots as you go through it, like, like Falco and Slippy have, like, a really strong back and forth of, like, they're just mm-hmm. kind of constantly antagonistic to each other. <laughs> Mostly Falco telling Slippy he's he's kind of a screw-up, constantly. Yeah, which he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, but even like Peppy, like kind of joins in on the ribbing here and there while mm-hmm. he's like not in between just being a dad, <laughs> and like like even Fox, who's a character who like really should come off as kind of like emotionless, mm-hmm. like like because he's he's kind of like he's a Boy Scout, right? But like even like by the end of it, you're like, ah, oh, Fox, you're okay. Yeah, he, he has a he has a nature to him. Yeah, totally. He's got, does. Like a a character with it. Yeah, and, like, when he, like, meets up, like, Bill on Katina, he's, like, super excited about it. He's like, yeah, I get to fight alongside Bill. This is great. And, like, yeah, they do, they do so much with so little, and they add so much detail there that it's no surprise that, yeah, like, they would, first off, do Star Fox 64 3D on the 3DS, mm-hmm. and then do Star Fox Zero, and then constantly reference that series over and right. over. And, uh, yeah, it's, and, of course, all the memes that came out of Star Fox 64, like... right. There's a reason why you can type do a barrel roll into the Google search engine and it does a barrel roll. <laughs> uh, they're the reason why nobody understands what a barrel roll is. <laughs> right, right. It's just great. I love it. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, though, 1997 was arguably the high point of the Star Fox series. Yeah. Because past this, we're going to get quite a few more games. And while I'm not going to sit here and say that every one of them is terrible... Uh, there's definitely kind of a diminishing returns quality going forward here. Yeah. But that's going to be for next time because I bit off a little bit more than I could chew with this. And (laughs) there's not going to be a real good way to sum up Star Fox Adventures or Command particularly quickly. Uh, Assault, Mm -hmm. yes, but not, not the others. Right, yeah. So next time we're going to start off by talking about another beloved British developer working on a Star Fox game. Oh. <laughs> oh, and also just the ridiculous backstory behind the development of Star Fox Adventures. Oh. Another reason why this is going to be a two-part, because we kind of have to talk about that. Yeah, it's, it's, there's no getting around it. It's no fundamental to everything. It, it is very fundamental to the plot and everything. We'll follow that up with Star Fox Assault, their attempt to actually make another Star Fox game with a little bit of help from Namco, oddly enough. Yep. And in Star Fox Command, where they actually brought back one of the original developers from Argonaut Software, Dylan Cutbirth, to help out with it, and made a game that is very interesting plot-wise, but mm-hmm. boy, I don't think it's good. Yeah, no. It... So, you know, since, since we don't have any more the actual story to talk about this episode i might as well go off on this tangent which is do it boy can you figure out where nintendo's priorities lie really easily yeah 
Um, because, okay, so Star Fox Command came out on the 3DS, yes? Uh, DS, actually. DS, okay. So that was, um, God, I'm trying to remember. I guess that was between the GameCube and the Wii, or was the Wii out at that point? Um, I believe the DS was 2004. Right, okay. So, slightly before the Wii. Um. Yes. So, the interesting thing is that Star Fox Adventure came out on the GameCube. We'll mm-hmm. say we'll say that for now, as did Assault. And so those were, you know, they were two attempts to return to the form with the series. Mm-hmm. And then Command, they were just like, eh, just put it on the DS, it's fine. The DS will be great for, for a, a flight game. Mm. And it's like, no, man, no, it won't. Are you trying to tell me you don't like controlling your ship with the touchscreen? No. <laughs> No, I don't. No, nobody does. It's a bad way to do. It's a bad way to control anything in that game. Yeah, Command. I guess we should also mention right now that there was going to be a sequel to the original Star Fox on the Super Nintendo. Yes, uh, Star Fox Two. Yes, and that game had a ton of like really crazy elements to it, like mm-hmm. your R wing transforming into a, a mech and like a weird map screen where you had to like pilot your ship towards objectives and then you go into the actual battle screen right which was entirely 3d now like free flight mm-hmm. yeah yeah because they're, they're using the full unlocked power of the super fx to yeah and they needed every little bit uh, yep and like and, um nintendo really loves reusing old elements that they uh couldn't use in previous games because that game right got canceled when it was 100 complete yep and star fox command essentially is what is star fox 2 right and uh the answer is in both cases, is, oh, this isn't actually very good. Yeah, it's like, this is neat, but I'm but not sure not about this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Star Fox 2 has a really weird shadow over the entire series because Star Fox Zero takes a lot of elements from Star Fox 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, with the transforming R-wings and whatnot. It's, it's, very, it's very interesting that this, like, this game that was, like, hushed tones talked about, like just ends up, like, finding its way into various products going forward. But that's called, also, once again, that's kind of the Nintendo thing. Like, if N- yeah, Nintendo definitely. never lets an idea die. If they can find no. a way to work it, they will. Right. And then a lot of times it ends up coming out and people go, oh, you should have let this idea die. Yeah, th- there's a reason why you, li- you didn't you didn't go forward with this. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Freaking uh, virtual boy ass. <laughs> Ah, oh, come on. No. No, I won't. I won't <laughs> with the Virtual Boy. Virtual Boy's great. It's not. It's the opposite of great. <laughs> Got a good Wario game for it. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah, so it's... Uh, Star Fox series goes into some, like, really, really odd directions past this. And yeah. I, I am definitely looking forward to next week talking about all that. Yes. But yeah, Alex, do you have any final thoughts for, for us today? I'll I'll go ahead and have this one. Uh, as you touched upon, Star Fox Assault was co-developed by Namco. And as a fundamental fan of Flight Sims, Ace Combat is one of my favorite video game series. Mm-hmm. And, oh boy, if they were to announce Project Aces developed a Star Fox game, I'd pre-order that, the most expensive edition of that, the day it was announced. Mm-hmm. Feel you on that. Just do it. Just do it, you cowards. <laughs> And no control gimmicks, just... No, just... No, if you give it to Project Aces, they're not going to have control gimmicks. It's going to be, you fly a plane and you shoot other planes. Do you want this? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I 100% do. Uh, yeah. Do it. But yeah. Thank you all for joining us today. This was a unexpectedly short episode, but one that... Uh, what about a series that I really, really wanted to talk about for a while? Yeah. So next time, once again, we're going to get into Star Fox Adventures and talk about uh, talk about what it's like to talk to dinosaurs. <laughs> hope, hope you like dinosaurs. If you like dinosaurs, you're going to like next episode. So yeah, with that, take care, everybody. <laughs>